Welcome back to the second and final episode of Lest We Forget. Ken started Bible College seven days after we arrived in the UK. He would have his lectures in the morning, then go to the church office for work up to 5 or 6 p.m. I stayed at home with our five-month-old Holy. We lived about 20 minutes away from the church. The September weather was getting chilly. The first week was really good. I was excited about the new routine for Holy and I at home, setting up a one-bedroom flat, nice and cozy. I called my mum and filled her in on how we were settling in it felt so good to hear her warm voice on the other side of the line. As the weeks passed by, it got colder and colder. I then quickly realized that my Ugandan wardrobe wasn't going to suffice. St. Anne's Church was very different from what Ken and I were used to at KPC, but the people there were very nice and friendly. We quickly met many new friends and we enjoyed serving there. Like most people in Uganda, I had so many preconceived ideas about living abroad. The main one was these were green pastures and money was easy to make. After about two months, I started looking for a night job and the idea was for Ken to stay with the baby at night and then me during the day. I didn't really consult with God whether or not this is what he wanted for me to do or our family setting to be. I just wanted to make money and send home like so many people I had heard about. In Uganda, you would hear of so-and-so son or daughter who went abroad, worked Cheyo, as we called it in Uganda, and in six months, he or she had sent two expensive cars to their parents. A year on, they had built a block of eight flats for rentals and also bought a lovely house in London. These success stories were endless. They were everywhere. So basically, if you got onto a plane to America or London, you were sorted for life financially. One thing was made clear to us though, that all these jobs available were such that the nationals didn't want to do. They included cleaning and working in care homes. That is where the money was. As long as you were willing to work hard by taking on as many shifts as possible, the money was guaranteed. The type of jobs didn't really bother me. My attitude was, you're still being paid in pounds, which is good money anyway. What I was not made aware of was the process of actually being able to get a job. I later found out that I had to get a national insurance number before I could get a job. So I applied for one. When I got to the national insurance office in Tottenham, I was told that I had to get a job first as proof that I needed an NI. So I kept missing out on job opportunities because I didn't have a national insurance number. And yet the Tottenham office kept telling me it was the other way around. This dance went on for weeks. And in the meantime, I was making long journeys with my baby Holly to and fro where the job prospects were. 
and using up all the little money I had on transport. I remember being in Hounslow at a care home office after I had interviewed for a care job. For my Ugandan listeners, Hounslow is in southwest London and Tottenham, where we lived at the time, is in North London. The lady gave me the timetable showing when I would be starting work. I was so excited. She then asked me for my NI number. I told her what the Tottenham office had said. I could see the hesitancy in her eyes. I assured her that if she wrote me a letter as proof of employment, I would bring the NI number with me on the start date. I could see that she really wanted me to have this job, but she was bound by the law not to employ non-NI holders. The lady promised me that she would keep my name on the register until I got my NI number. She also gave me her contact details and the name of the home care facility to give to the NI office in Tottenham as proof that all I needed to start was the NI number. She was willing to talk to the NI office in Tottenham on my behalf. With high hopes, I jumped onto the bus and rushed back to North London in the Tottenham office to get my NI number. On arrival in the Tottenham offices, I presented the home care facility address and the details of the lady manager, telling the man at the desk that the lady manager was willing to confirm that I had a job there. The guy at the reception desk seemed grumpy. As soon as I started explaining while handing him the details from the lady manager, he cut me off and said, where's your letter of appointment? I was honestly very confused because it was clear to me now that the employers and the NI offices were singing from two different hymn books. He wouldn't even let me finish what I was trying to explain to him. He said in a raised voice, Ma'am, I don't know how you do things wherever you're coming from, but here in this office, what I'm telling you is how we do things, okay? Before I could even respond, he looked over me and shouted at the next person, Next! I felt so belittled. The guy was so condescending. At this time, Holly was crying. She was hungry and tired. This had been a long day and I was on the verge of tears. I left the office feeling as small as a fly. As soon as I got outside on the street, I started crying. I couldn't hold back the tears. Good thing I had my sunglasses, which I quickly put on. I think what hurt the most for me was the fact that this was a black person. I had heard about racism, but I didn't expect a black person to talk to me the way he did. I jumped onto the bus and headed back home. Ken was already home. I was a sight to behold. Ken calmed me down and we had supper. As we were going to bed, Ken told me, let's put this job hunting on hold and give it to God. I decided to do that. I started doing voluntary work in the church office 
for two days a week. Two months after my unpleasant experience at the NI offices, the vicar called me in his office. He said that there was a vacancy that had come up and he was giving me the right of first refusal. If I wanted it, the job was mine. He went on to say, I didn't even need an interview because he had observed my work ethic and everyone on the staff and the church board was happy for me to have the job. The vacancy that had come up was of a church administrator. The job came with a two-bed flat, which was just above the church hall. This meant that Ken and I didn't have to worry about transport costs anymore. Without hesitation, I said yes, because I knew this was from God. The gentleman who had been working as a church administrator had bought a house outside London. Two months after the NI saga, God opened a door for my employment with no hassle. It was on the church premises, the primary school that Holy and Hosanna would go to, seven years each, was just across the road. This was the best school in the borough at that time. I have learned that how good a door is depends on what you need and not necessarily what you want. A door that is right for someone else might not be the right door for you because you are in a different season. Some people can go through one door and it is fabulous for them, but it may be the wrong door for you. The night jobs were not the right door for me and my family. I now believe that God shut the door on the night jobs I wanted to do in order to make money because this was not the right door for me to walk into with a seven months old baby in a new country with a husband who was doing full-time studying and full-time work. And besides that, God had moved us to the UK as missionaries. There was already a door opening for me to be able to work and look after my daughter and husband at the same time. But I was so blinded by the preconceived ideas from back home on how to make money first to send home. And in the process, forgetting to seek God's counsel first about this direction, the very God who had miraculously orchestrated our move to the UK as missionaries, I had blindly forgotten all about this fresh miracle. Nobody had mentioned to me the challenges of childcare in the Western world while at work. But I'm grateful to God for his mercies even when we make a mess of ourselves. Friends, I have learned that it is important to seek God in every new venture or battle. Just because the strategy worked for somebody else or even the majority of people doesn't mean it will work for you the same way. I have learned that God does want us to forever be dependent on him and get his mind and direction. Always pray before you go into a battle, however easy, simple or small it may seem. I have learned that what is yours will fall in your hand eventually. I am not saying that you have to stay idle and do nothing. You have to do your part, but do rest in peace and wait for God's timing. Pray 
as though it's all up to God, but work as though it's all up to you. Be open that if something doesn't work the way you wanted it to be or doesn't happen on your own timetable, you will still trust God and wait for his timing and direction. Finally, friends, God has called us to testify of his goodness, big or small, lest we forget like the children of Israel did.